Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as ever by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? Michael, how are you? It's, uh, it's bright and early today. We're recording a bit earlier today, so it's we're all still a bit stiff, but uh, yeah, we're feeling good. How are you? I don't want that to be taken the wrong way. Um, well, um, last time it was Luke who had the difficulties getting up early, but it was me this week. But anyway, we're also joined with Luke Perry. How are you? Yes, uh, good morning to you, Curzon. I had no difficulties getting up, as Sam will testify. I was up at six this morning, so raring to go. Marvellous. Well, let's get straight into it then. Uh, though I'm afraid to say, Luke, you've not got the first story this week. Instead, we're going to Sam, um, who's been looking at events uh, written about by William Parker on the website this week. Very, uh, very much worth a read. Um, but events taking place at Cardiff University. Sam, what have you been reading about? Happening at the University of Cardiff. Um... Since since William uh, showed us, and I, I was I was stunned by it because I, I I wasn't aware of it. I mean, I think we we'd all seen what was happening at the University of Manchester, um, where fences were, were being put up around campus and students being locked into their halls, and it began to resemble a prison. Um, and uh, there's a there's a petition here on uh, Change.org, which is uh, from students at the university saying that. Um, Students have been uh, intimidated, controlled, uh, subject to you know random spot checks, security just entering their homes, uh, massive uptick in uh, cameras on campus. Students have been threatened with eviction if they, if they don't follow these extremely stringent um, COVID policies, and it, it, it's it's yeah it's it's it is worrying. Um, how about you guys? What, what have you seen on the matter? Well, I mean, from your description, then it, it could almost be as if you're talking about China, but this is Britain um, in the 21st century. It's an incredible story. And what makes it even more shocking is that students are expected to pay for this privilege uh, for for being in a prison. I mean, if, it, if we were to hear this was taking place in a boarding school, it wouldn't be any less horrifying, but it would at least be uh, understandable given the relationship between the students who were sent there and given no choice and the uh, and the teachers, but no, these are pupils who are who are paying the university for the privilege of getting an education, and instead of being sent to a de facto prison camp. Hmm. It's incredible state of affairs. Yeah, and it's something that I've been saying for a while now is that one of the most worrying trends about this is that it's given the um, sort of the 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 petty tyrants of of England their their fifty minutes, really. You know, um, and it it isn't just. Um, campus security is every facet is people are getting absolutely high on the power that this is affording them and i mean in any other time this would amount to an extreme culture of harassment from the top down on universities of people who anyway given given that it's halls these are kids who are many of whom are away from home for the first time they're experiencing their first sort of dose of adulthood and and um and independence and and they're being robbed of that because they're being coddled and, and treated like inmates. Speaking of the petty tyrants of this world, as someone who is still a student, although my evidence is anecdotal, it's a symptomatic of the trend we've seen in all aspects of public life, is that the uh, ordinary public are getting on board with this. And I, I know people at university who are living in a prison where the guards are their own housemates, always questioning them where they've been, stalking them on social media. I mean, it's... Like the living with the stars, it's dreadful. Hmm. Yeah, like I, I was gonna say actually, because you're you're um you're still studying. Um, what's what's your campus been like, or have you not been able to even get onto it? 
um, the, the library is open, but you were booking advance and wear a mask. That's what one of the only buildings open. I, I'm not living in halls, luckily. But uh, I was also shocked by William Parksby because he mentioned them and he mentioned that there were guards around the um, university accommodations. I, I didn't know that. Is that on the other side then, in the, in the, the halls? Yeah, the halls of residence. I'm in, I'm in private accommodation, so I've escaped that. Yeah, good. I mean, so I'm, it is incredible. I'm, I'm looking again at, at the, at the, the list of, of requirements of students. I mean, it's just... It, 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 so, so much of it is almost aimed at turning flats against one another. I mean, this is under the, the students are asked to um, basically to snitch on their on their housemates and neighbours. Um, and, and it's like it's like we were saying a few weeks ago with the the child spies thing, where um, it, it's just going to completely undermine the the bonds that these people are hoping to make it, it, again in in their first taste of you know adult freedom. Um, I mean, you know, how are you gonna how are you gonna be able to come back and socialize once you've been, you know, grasped up to the to security and then you know, <laughs> things happen to you? I mean, the, the the threat of eviction too. I mean, this is like consider the the context. You know, not only economically but socially. If you get evicted now, you you may as well just drop out if, if you're in halls. Mm. I think one of the important points of this as well is that given uh, those uh, who the story involves are are young, um, like ourselves, admittedly. Um, it, it begs the question of the the way in which these people have been socialised in their, their first adult experience, as you say, in this setting. How they will um, respond to other such circumstances when, when they reach um, older life. I mean, we've we've already talked about the likelihood of further lockdowns when when um, you know seasonal flu comes about or any other. Uh, pandemic or epidemic however mild or, or harsh um, and it seems again that based on the experience of, of what's happened this time people would roll over to it and would straight away get back to peering out of the window to see um, who was wrongly walking down the street and get ready to call the police about it it's um, it's worrying that whilst there has been some opposition to what's happened in Cardiff William Parker shared a, a petition for example and a lot of people are rightly quite angry about it. It seems uh, undoubtedly that, that, that many are also part and parcel of the system, that, the, that some of the students are actually calling against their, their fellow students or, or prisoners at, at the same time and are, are willing to, to um, not to stand in their favour, but to send them to the dogs, essentially, which is the opposite of what should be happening. Mm, yeah, and... The there's an obvious mental health element there too. You know, if, if, you know, if, if, if people feel like a cage animal for long enough, eventually you'll become one. And um, again, I, I just can't shake this, this idea that a lot of people now are having this, you know, experience that they've dreamed of for years, just, just sort of taken from them by um, overzealous security guards and, you know, snitching roommates. It's only three years as well, and it quickly goes by. I mean, the, the last half of mine was, was taken away because of this, although the, the first half seemed to have been taken away due to uh, lecturer strikes as well, admittedly. Um, I which, the same problem. Yeah. <laughs> Six well, weeks of strikes and COVID showed up. <laughs> yeah, what timing. Um, and the strikes won't end after that. 
Um, but no, I think it's it's an incredibly important time for for socialisation, uh, for people to see their place in the world. The same for those who don't go to university. This is uh, likely, given that education is mandatory until the age of eighteen now, um, likely the time when people first enter um, a serious sort of workplace or uh, start taking part in apprenticeships. Um, and for such things like this, where they're not happening in person, to not be happening in person, a lot is being lost, not only important training, um, but also just the ability to learn how to react around people who are not like those you grew up around, um, which is an important thing in life. And what, one, one more thing, it's, like, it's, it's something that's, that's always baffled me since, since the start of this whole crisis, which is that... Um, these are these are 18 19 20 year olds they're not at risk from the virus and they're far away from their family so they're not at risk of transmitting the virus. i mean the the justification given for locking down young people who aren't vulnerable to the virus is that they can then you know spread it to someone more vulnerable but th this is this is the one time this is the one cohort who are who are not at risk from the virus and they are not near their family they're not near um elderly relatives you know it, it it doesn't need to be as extreme. No, but then th that gives it credence to be all the more extreme. The, the the further away someone is from the problem, the more likely they are to 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 be all hecked up about it and to to be even more angry. Um, it's just the way things are. I think that's part, partly the result of of a twenty four hour news media um, and, and news on the phone, which is in, inescapable. Um, but no, it, as you say, these people ought to be the furthest removed from the restrictions. But in the case of Cardiff Uni and other universities, if we're talking about guards at Birmingham as well, um, it seems like they might be taking them in some cases the most seriously. Mm. It seems to be a, just a, a continuing trend in modern universities of keeping students safe at any cost. I mean, it's the, it's the similar logic with hate speech. You've got to protect people from different opinions. Now we have mm. to protect people from a mild virus. And now it's delved from the uh, sort of the emotional realm, the threat of cancer culture, into the physical realm of literally barring students into their rooms. And, and, and it's sort of is if you look at it throughout time, it's an interesting thing where it's sort of it's it's gone up and then down and up again. Where um, you hear sort of stories from like campuses in like the the fifties and sixties where. Uh, female students w weren't allowed to like you know had a curfew they couldn't leave their room after a certain point and it was very coddling it was very sort of um parental um and then rightly so after that people demanded their freedom on campus and then you know people were able to go about and do as they do as they wish and now the campus is once again becoming a very controlling coddling environment which is i mean in, in any regard in, in the regard of you know a, a, a virus that most people will survive fine wherever it be from uh words that might hurt your feelings this this, this whole um process of making the university as safe a place as possible is is doing the students a massive disservice because when they graduate they aren't going to be prepared for the world which is at times cruel and indifferent hmm. yeah but i think many students will will take part in this because all students like a course however silly or futile i think that we running this magazine a few years back probably had the same problem, but um, I, it's 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 just a natural thing that people like to keep themselves busy. It usually takes the form in in society politics, which is a hideous thing. Um, 
but given that that's all halted, people instead uh, take their causes being COVID marshals, which um, might not be the most suitable uh, change, but I suppose to an extent is expected. Hmm. What Douglas Murray said about what the, the cause of these social justice movements and now um, the COVID-19 um, cult, so to speak, is that people are now bored in society. He attributes why the Black Lives Matter riots were uh, on a massive scale is because people were locked down for weeks on end. They had nothing else to do. And now people have nothing else to do in the same situation. Hmm. One other thing that Murray draws attention to is, um, is a St. George's retirement syndrome where the, the zealot has, has completed their objective and is now just swing their sword of thin air. Yeah. Yeah, the, the um, the the target isn't 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 the source of their their their, their drive. It's the it's the act of you know, fighting something. Has Murray actually come out against this now? Because he he was uh, pretty silent for at least the first what eight months, the most crucial eight months. Yeah, he's he's come out against lockdown now. Yeah. Oh right, about time. Yeah. He was very disappointing at the beginning. It must be said. I mean, also at the start, he he expressed hope that COVID would uh, would put an end to wokeness, which, uh, my God, he was wrong. There <laughs> mm. mm. No, I think he completely misread the situation, hasn't he? Well, that leads us in well to the second story, which we're afraid to tell you is uh, also COVID related. Um, Luke, you've been looking at the the likelihood of mandatory vaccinations being imposed. That was your your Monday column on the website this week, and we've had a, a number of reports on the site uh, following after this. So what is it in particular that we should be worried about here? Well, what we should worry about is the, the inevitability of it, the, the writing on the wall. Now, Boris has a pledge that he won't introduce vaccine passports, mandatory vaccination, but he also said we had three weeks to save the NHS and look where we are now. Yeah. And um, Boris is sort of borrowing Tony Blair's justification for globalisation. It's that it's inevitable. Boris said that um, an international vaccine passport would happen with international air travel and in the blink of an eye that could be moved to the domestic sphere. And uh, we, have, we have, of course, the government nudging employers about having a no jab, no job contract provisions and um, the international firms have uh, consulted law firms and law firms are discovering that, yes, it, it is in fact horrifyingly legal. And this is, I think, the government's perfect route to vaccinate the population because it's discreet. The government could hold their hand up and say, hey, hey, don't blame us. And um, as, as the vaccine minister, Nadim Zahari, Zahari has said, it's up to businesses what they do. Mm. That will be the, the route in which we are all jabbed in the end. Yeah, well, this is the, the classic Conservative Party approach, isn't it? Because the same chap who said it's up to them also said it's wrong and discriminatory. Well, it, it, it surprises me that the government has been willing to enforce such strong um, and, and, well, and new measures against the, the, the virus. Yet as soon as it comes to a question of defending liberty, it says, oh, no, no, we, it's not our job to do that. It's, it's none of our business. It's up to the businesses themselves. We don't think it's right, but they can make their own mind up. Well, it's been willing to overstep its mark for, what, almost a year now. Um, I think the, the reason clearly is, is that it doesn't really think it is wrong and discriminatory 
it says that so in 10 years time when people might start to question the damage to our liberty it says we tried to defend it at the point it was none of our business what the the companies themselves decided to do but i think the fact of the matter is that the conservative party wants this actually to happen um or at the very least isn't bothered um about the implications of mandatory vaccinations for for workers mm. yeah I, I was saying last week that this 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 was never going to be a directly mandatory thing it wasn't gonna be like you know um you get coppers at, at, to turn up your door saying all right you're your jabs at 2pm come with us please it was never going to be like that it was always going to be if you want to work if you want to travel if you want to go to certain restaurants or go to certain bars or li basically lived live your pre-march 2020 life you you need this injection um which is which is so indicative of the current tory party which is you know business knows best right they're they're completely um almost like contracting out their their responsibility for uh for the provision of liberty to the private sector which is obviously gonna just go with um the mirage of, of public opinion um which is which is an, uh, another point which that every poll that i've seen on, on the matter is overwhelmingly pro lockdown pro directly uh, indirectly mandatory vaccination and it's got to ask me, who are they polling because i haven't been asked a question i mean well you should you should start answering the questions then. I've recommended this, I think, in an article recently. Um, I used to do the YouGov polling quite a bit just because you get a bit of money at the end. Uh, and as a student, that is that's a nice bit of well, it's adding the cake rather than the icing. Um, but when you look at how many people are polled for these surveys, it's only in the low thousands. It's really not very many. You don't need many people to start polling who are of, of our opinion until the polls start to change. Now, what they do say is that they adjust the results so as to represent national average. So if so many people respond of a certain age group, which is unrepresentative of the nation, then they might flip it slightly, which is acceptable, that's understandable. But still, if enough people like us start to answer these things, then I think quite soon the, the polls would, show, uh, would tell a very different story. Um, because you're right, I mean, I, I work at a local shop at the minute and a lot of customers on the early morning shifts like to add a brief comment when slapping the paper onto the till. And you know, there are a few who, who would say in response to the question, uh, to the statement, the vaccination is likely to be mandatory, they'd say good. Um, but I think most people I've met and most people I know outside of work um, are at the very least sceptical of, of this. Um, others just outright against it yeah, it's, it's also what i wrote in my column on monday that the same way that cancel culture is enforced as in you are excluded from public society can't have any more fun and no one and your reputation is ruined that will be the same way in how um mandatory vaccination will arrive and it's just very ironic how uh, the neoliberal revolution promised us a uh, liberty by uh, reducing the power of the state that was their main mechanism but that, that cause a vacuum where the private sector, the business knows best, the corporate world, that, that's, that now dominates over our lives. And that, that's been dominating over our lives for, well, for, for a very long time. The, the pandemic has just brought that power to the surface. So. Yeah, I mean, as you've said, a lot of, um, I think the mail this week has been in contact with some London law firms to, to inquire about the likelihood of this. And um, we've already seen 
one of the largest private healthcare providers in Britain, which runs around 200 homes, say that its staff can't get a job if they haven't been vaccinated. Um, I think there's some, some was it a plumbing company or an energy company? Something like... Oh, uh, um, yeah, Pimlico Plumbing. Um, one yeah. Of the, yeah, the... the one of the largest plumbing companies in, in, in London. Right. They can't work unless they've been vaccinated. Um, I mean, one of the points to make here is that other than the, the example with plumbing, although I suppose you could still make the same case in that um, individuals are traveling to a, a large number of homes in order to, or, or business and, and buildings in order to solve problems. Um, so the care homes, um, the justification is more easy to make not that it's right but it's easier to make due to the fact people are working with uh, vulnerable people likely elderly people who are more at risk of being being harmed by the virus um but even companies outside of that sort of remit are currently talking to law firms and inquiring about the legality of enforcing mandatory vaccinations the sort of idea of the the no jab no no work um including a, a large energy firm the mail says whatever that might be another large multinationals as well so this could be a serious deal which doesn't which which extends outside of britain a company managed elsewhere which which runs uh, facilities in numerous countries could say actually no you're not working for us unless you've had the vaccine which is um i mean as we say the, the goalposts um, don't just keep on changing they pretty much don't exist anymore they've disappeared uh, but to, to picture that we've gone from three weeks to save the NHS to if you don't take this vaccine you're not allowed to work or to live your life hmm. quite a step in yeah. less than a year as well. I mean especially for us I mean you know like the, the three of us are you know with our, our, our combined age is still younger than the average COVID death I mean we're um you know, we're, we're, the 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 idea that that uh, the three of us can't live our lives as we did unless we have this injection is 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 baffling, and and the the fact that it's perfectly legal apparently is is the scariest part of this, mm. which is you know it's it, again it's 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 so indicative of of the sort of the current world we live in where um, what the government can't get away with. Uh, private company can yeah but and i think that that itself is just an excuse for the government to push responsibility away from itself um which like, which is times. yeah and 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 you know it, it it is a bit of a mousetrap in that you know it's 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 so justifiable why someone working in a care home should probably be inoculated against the virus seeing as you're you know in close proximity with the most directly vulnerable group from Osiris at all times. That's fair enough. But if you're, you know, if you if you work in a, 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 a media company in central London, then the that urgency doesn't that urgency goes away. But I mean, the requirement's still the same. But even in the first case, it doesn't quite make sense because if if the people who you're supposed to be protecting and are vulnerable against the virus have themselves had the vaccine. Mm then there's no added benefit um i mean unless the the vaccine is such that the risk of someone contracting the virus um despite already having the vaccine um is high i don't see what the added benefit would be there 
doesn't seem to make sense. It's just an excuse to um, to continue the Operation Fear, which you've been writing about, Luke, and to ensure that everybody is in their place and does what they're told. I think it's it's worth looking slightly at why it is some people might not want to take the, the vaccine, especially those who are a bit younger. I mean, you said, Sam, earlier that the, the combined age of, of us three is, is lower than the, the average uh, age of a COVID death, which which is true, but it, I know you didn't you didn't mean it like this, but it's important to point out that that's not to say because we're not at risk, nothing matters, um, or that we're 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 more important than those who are older, which is is not the position that the conservative skeptics of the lockdowns have taken, because it's it's not a question of one life versus another. Uh, sorry, not a question of one life versus economy or or anything else. It's it's life versus life since since the implications of economic ruin and, and mental health ruin and educational ruin adds up to life. Um, so it's, it's important to look at why people might not want to. I mean, of course, the, the liberty question is, is a strong one. Um, that just the very fact that someone is cajoled into doing something is often a reason not to do it, um, unfortunately. But that's, that's, that's the way the world, the world runs. People, um, especially with more conservative instincts, are not too happy about governments taking this sort of power. I mean, the, the papers have all been very pro-vaccine uh, passports recently, even the Telegraph, every single day running editorials. Tony Blair's been given a nice slot in the mail, I think, and um, they're all all for it. And, and one columnist in the Telegraph, I believe, wrote, oh, well, we all accept being frisked down at an airport, so why are we challenging this? And of course, the response is, well, maybe we should also challenge being frisked down at an airport. It's, it's, we accept it as being part of the normal life. As you said, Luke, the, the whole COVID scare story is a continuation of the war on terror, which, uh, from which, of course, the, the whole frisking down at the airport arose. Um, so, so there is the liberty question, but also um, whilst the vaccine itself can be trusted, um, as you wrote in your, your uh, article, Luke, it's been approved by the right people. And we don't think that it's, you know, we're not these tin foil hat people who, who talk about... Uh, Bill Gates having a, a direct line with our bodies for a chip. But there are some questions um, about testing for certain ages which haven't yet taken place. I mean, Pfizer has admitted that it hasn't yet begun trials with uh, pregnant women, for example. Um, and whilst there might not usually be any reason to fear negative consequences on pregnancy or fertility generally for people who aren't yet pregnant, it's still something worth considering everybody in the population is expected to take it looking into. I think certain trials aren't set to end until 2023. Um, and so far for the, for the Pfizer one, from what I was reading last week, so it might be slightly high now, but still incredibly low, only six people who had been involved in testing, six women who had been involved in testing were pregnant. They weren't pregnant when they began testing, but ended up being pregnant during the process. So they were able to monitor the experience for them and they thankfully were fine uh, there were no negative consequences but i think with a, a matter as serious as this where as many people are involved as will be it's important to look at all the uh, possibilities particularly that of um, impact on fertility and pregnancy as a just in case especially for those who aren't harmed uh, by the virus or who are less likely to be harmed, much less likely to be harmed if they don't take the vaccine in the first place. 
Yes, I think the University of um, Boston in the United States is carrying out studies on whether the vaccine impacts fertility. Of course, not much of concern for the old people, but for us people, certainly. That's, that's, part, that's part of the risk. I mean, it seems we could, we're not allowed the risk of not taking the vaccine, despite us being, well, <coughs> untouched by the virus. But um, we, were, we can have the risk with the vaccine. Very, very um, flipped state of affairs. Mm. The, the problem that I see, and it's a problem with, with so many things, is that um, the, um, the, the sort of the, you know, the quote-unquote anti-vaxxer has been um, so brought to the surface and, and sort of paraded around over the last year or so that any sort of questioning of this rollout is lumped, is conveniently lumped into the same category. I, I, as you said, Michael, you know, none, like, none of us believe that, yeah, yeah like, like, you know, this is a, yeah, this is a, this is a plot to, you know, inflict mass infertility on, on us and that kind of thing. Like, none of us believe that. What we're saying is um, th th there is virtually no accountability here. The, the, the major producers of vaccines are immune from uh, civil suits. Um, there's, there's, there's no requirement for the, um, the contents of the vaccine to be made public. Um, and also with it being indirectly enforced through employment and, and other um, activities, it's just, again, it, 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 it's, it's been so straw manned as, oh, you just think Bill Gates is trying to like hack into your body. That yeah. it, it, it prevents any meaningful discourse on the, on the, on the legality or even, even just the, the, the rightfulness of, you have to have this, otherwise you can't go back to your, to your, to your life. I think I think two groups are at fault for that. One of them, obviously, is is the media and I suppose the establishment. Let's say um, those who have been running the Operation Terror and have been quite keen to show the, uh, those who disagree with either the vaccine or with lockdown as being horrible people. The whole idea of the anti-vaxxer is part of the the smear campaign in order to to make more people accept. The lockdowns but the other people at fault are those who we've talked about a few times now like douglas murray um those who normally would be against such uh acts of crowd madness especially with with murray of course um but for a very long time until maybe the imposition of the the second or the third lockdown were silent about the matter or talked about um just outside matters to do with it so i think at the beginning murray was saying oh it's it's bad that people are calling on the neighbors and all this where he should have actually been and i'm sure likely in his head was thinking that lockdown itself was worthy of questioning and as a journalist surely that's that's the whole point of the profession to challenge um the uh, the government's dictate but for a long time they were silent about it and because of that because respectable skeptics were silent for so long it's played into the hands of the media who want to smear um, the, the anti-lockdown side. I think they're partly to blame for that. Yeah, well, it's, it's what Edmund Burke said. It's um, evil, evil happens when good men stand by and, and do nothing. I think that was a very big mistake of um, the lockdown sceptic side. When, when was the lockdown sceptic side created by Toby Young? I don't think uh, it was a media. It wasn't a media. I mean, Toby Young, in fairness, was... was um, was questioning this from a very early position and and probably didn't set up the website straight away because we were told it would only last for three weeks <laughs> you, you don't set up a, a website uh, for something that's going to last three weeks but the, the skeptic site's been going for a while and it's it's um it's been very helpful and, and other sites like the conservative woman um has been uh, against this from from the very beginning um as has bornbrook in fact but 
these have been these have been the vanguard of the lockdown skeptics movement, you could say. And well, we've just all we've just all coalesced under <laughs> this um, banner. Once more into the breach, dear friends. Yeah. Mm. There you are. I think on on that note, we should go on to the on to the last story of the week, um, which. So we pause there. One second. Guys, yeah, getting murdered again. Um, which, uh, well, we pause. I think on that note, we should uh, go on to the last story of the week, which is semi-COVID related, but we will try and uh, push as far against that element of it as possible. Um, we've already talked about the likelihood of, of some workers not being able to return to the, the workplaces if they've not had a vaccine. But increasingly, we're seeing the likelihood of, of workers not being allowed to go back to the workplace because the workplace itself will be closed and not necessarily because of business closure, which will be one problem, uh, but also because a lot of businesses having had their their in-work premises closed for so long and realised the, in uh, one viewpoint, unnecessary expense of paying for an actual building, uh, will want people to carry on working from home. Much cheaper that way. You don't have to uh, help put money towards commuters for businesses that do that. And of course, you don't have to pay the large energy bills and, and renting bills of, of owning the buildings where people will work. Um, it says so far that a, a fifth of businesses, this was reported as being only a fifth, um, but I think that's actually quite sizable across the, the national scale. A fifth of businesses may force their workers to stay home. Um, and some companies um, are looking at the very least of not allowing workers back into the workplace until at least the end of the year. Um, so not necessarily looking at the, the cause of this around COVID, I think it's worth challenging the sort of social implications of this and also the work-based implications. I mean, partly the, the ONS last year uh, did a study into um, the amount of work that was carried out in, in uh, businesses where most people were working from home and they had plenty of, of case studies for that. And they said that companies were twice as likely to see a fall in productivity. Um, whilst their workers weren't in the office talking to each other, brainstorming ideas um, and all things like this. But of course, the social implication as well is that we've talked about universities where people aren't able to socialise. Um, well, it works the same in businesses. People don't stop socialising when they reach 25. They still meet new people, um, gain new interests. Uh, but in this world, instead, they're going to carry on living in their home. Sam, what do you think the, the problem with this could be? Well, you, you, the, the, there's a number of different phases to it. The, the, the one that you mentioned is um, how productive the workforce is. I mean, uh, you, you can see it in everything in, in, in workplaces and in schools where you, you can't fully be at your best if you're just looking at pictures on a screen. It, 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 it creates a sort of a, a dehumanizing wall between wherever, you, wherever you're talking to. Like, for example, with this show, I have no doubts that we'd be We'd, we'd make a, a much better show if we were all in the same room together. Um, and also on the social element, I mean, yeah, you're right. People do, do go to the office and, and, they, and they meet new people and they make friends and they potentially even meet their partners. Um, it's it, it's, it's going to be uh, interesting in a sort of macabre way to sort of see how this unfolds over the next couple of years. Because like, 
once the virus goes away, the, 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 the paranoia won't. Not, not, for, not for a generation and, and more. And of course, being cooped up inside all day, now with uh, our own workplaces, such an unnatural environment for humans. It's, it's why um, people who live in cities are more depressed than those who live in rural areas because you're stuck inside all the time. And yes, we, have, we live with loved ones, we love them dearly, but it's human nature eventually gets sick of each other, I think. I, mean, I think newspaper once reported that uh, family breakdowns are likely to uh, spike because we've been cooped up inside all day long. And uh, the only real good I can pull out of this is, um, the, the only real blessing disguise is uh, what we saw in Sweden, where although it did not fully lock down, it encouraged businesses to uh, make sure their employees work from home. And uh, although the inner city areas, they lost, they lost money, of course, but the rural areas had a bit of um, revitalization because no, no, uh, no one was commuting in. So that's the only real benefit I can pluck out of all this misery. Right. It, it, it's, you know, our, our lives even before this were becoming more and more sedentary, you know, um, through, the things, through things like, you know, social media, smartphones, video games, people were already spending more time in their homes. You know, it wasn't like when we were kids where if you wanted to see your friends, you'd, you'd, you'd go out and knock on their door. You know, the, the, the social implica implications of, of, you know, isolation majority of the time, are, yeah, they're, they're going to come to light very soon. And when, and when they do, it's going to be a massive indictment of what we've done to ourselves over the last year. And the scale of this that we're, that we're looking at, the problem we're looking at, is, is bigger than we might expect. Um, the CBI and PwC have, have done a study of um, the financial services, so mainly in urban areas, but especially in places like London, and have found that three quarters of, of such businesses in the financial services are reviewing their use of office spaces. Now, of course, not all of these would be expected to... Um, to move out but if three quarters are, are considering it then the, the amount who who do finally pull the plug and say right stay at home is going to be uh, surprisingly high i think mm. and it, it would be it would be a universal thing because of competition as, as you said because it's cheaper you don't have to pay rent have to pay bills don't have to uncover the cost of commuting and uh, that means those firms that do that will make a profit and better survive the, the market which would have been crippled by lockdowns businesses are going to take any costs business is going to cut any costs they can find so as soon as a few big companies start doing it everyone will follow yeah. I suppose it adds another layer of difficulty for people to get jobs as well because it's, it's difficult enough in this time of zoom calls to to understand how to behave in, a, in an interview where you're you're sat in your bedroom yet uh, supposed to act professionally um far different from going into a place and meeting somebody where you've got the whole question of body language as well um, that this is far more restricted when people, as I say, are sat either in their kitchen, as I am now, or in the bedroom, as you both are now. Um, it's, it adds a, another layer of difficulty, um, which is, uh, as our generation moves out of university or out of apprenticeships, um, it's going to make finding a job all the more difficult. And that's, that, that's, the, that's the bravery world we're looking at, isn't it, where you... Um, you work from home, you see your friends over Zoom, you have, you know, your fast food delivered to your house, you have, you, you, your entertainment is, you know, beamed directly into your home via streaming services. 
pe- pe- people are just going to spend more and more time in their home and um yeah it, it's, it's it, and it's going to come at the expense of um of the, the sort of the social lives that we, that we all cherish and 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 look back on fondly as a sort of distant memory now and and as i've said with with everything to do with you know lockdown and distancing and that kind of thing is that the people i really feel for here are kids who don't remember who don't really recall life before this if this becomes the new normal which is a phrase that we've heard countless times throughout this whole process is um entire generations are going to be robbed of the normal life Mm. not just not just between now and, and the end of end of the pandemic but just for, for decades afterwards maybe. yeah i think the the cover of the new yorker which we discussed before sam mm-hmm. is quite fitting here perhaps we'll, we'll share it in the description to um to give viewers a look at but it's it, it's that in which every aspect of life is is in one place um but also uh almostly quite false where the workers sat on the desk in the kitchen but only dressed properly from the the top half up um, and that everything else below is just sloppy lazy and really quite uncaring because there's there's nobody to to act up to there's there's no norm at which to to set one's uh, expectations and also uh, and, and the rest of the room is you know alcohol and antidepressants and fast food boxes and amazon parcels and it um <laughs> what was i mean what was designed to be a sort of quite you know bizarrely quite an empowering image became a sort of uh, a looking glass into a quite bleak future that we all we all, we all face if we aren't careful it's, now we now we can't separate our social lives from our personal lives and given that our social lives are spent entirely in the same room where we spend our entire work lives it's I, th- I don't know how a productivity of the business is going to stay high because it's so many distractions and so easy to um, sort of duck out of screen and do your own thing almost. I'm not hopeful. Well, on that jolly bombshell, I think if we go into the, the miscellaneous level of the of the podcast now and, and look at some of the, the smaller stories through the week um, before we get too bogged down in this, I mean, one of them, which I'd picked up on um, which I suppose raises another interesting question on how life might change over the next few decades, not because of COVID, but because of the the cultural uh, situation we find ourselves in. Um, As the Duke of Edinburgh was admitted to the hospital earlier this week, um, the anti-monarchy group Republic released a video saying, it's time, Um, clearly excited by the prospect that the, 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 the point at which the monarchy ceases to exist might have become a step closer i mean when we come to the next coronation if this takes place it's going to be clearly a very different coronation to that which took place in 1953 um due to the the social context in which it happens can we picture it continuing for decades more i mean i i get the impression that the public is generally less interested in the monarchy and less bothered about its existence and at the very least is less understanding of why it exists sam do you think that this is something we can we're going to see ending in our lifetime or might that itself be a little too pessimistic i think it's difficult to tell because yeah you're right the the average person doesn't have a you know intimate understanding of you know the british constitutional history um however i do think that the royal family operates a 
sentimental position in enough people's lives where it still enjoys a majority of public support among the British public. Um, I think because th th there's something intangible there, you know, you, you, someone can go on for hours about, you know, the, the you know, quote unquote honor and the privileges of, of, of monarchy and whatever. However, there is this overwhelming sense that it, it, it's, it, it's ours. This is, you know, quirky thing that we have and it's ours. And, and that may sound strange, but I, I think that is strong enough to keep it going for at least another generation. Um, on to the point you make about um, about public approval of, of the royal family, I think the the key thing to note is that um, what won the last election was a a public kickback against this sort of you know metropolitan progressive worldview that doesn't really seem to care for the history and traditions of this nation. I think if the last election is anything to go by, it's that those traditions are still beloved and for the time being are safe i think although i i do see that after after queen elizabeth passes the republican message will ramp up massively i think it's too early to tell the final fate of the monarchy whether it's going to last 100 more years or not but i think when um charles gets to the throne it, it will have much of its uh, traditions and um, sentimentality hacked off. I think my um, Pesaris wrote an article in Monarchy a few months ago and he said he, he cannot imagine them um, in, in, at the coronation where the king proclaims himself the defender of the faith because we've become a very secular society. The, this, that's the type of, well, that, that's part of the Cultural Revolution. Those are the type of intrusions that happen. It's not eradicated immediately, it spends time. And I think the, the, the monarchy will, will, well, it's, it's faced that for generations now. It's faced it for a few generations more. I think, I think, as you say, if we're to see it continuing through our lifetimes, which itself has a question mark on top, but let's hope it does. But if it is to, then it, it at the very least is to be a very different entity to that which many people in the generations before us uh, saw as being the norm. Hmm. It'd be, it'd be like the churches. Yes, the, the Church of England's still here, but it, it's, it's very different to the time my um, grandparents attended church. It's just it's part and parcel of, of the liberal establishment, and that's well, basically um, a defeat for us. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the many things after which you can say in name only, perhaps Conservative mm -hmm. Party in name only, uh, voluntary vaccination in name only. Um, and now perhaps a uh, 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 head of state and monarchy in name only, which a defender of the faith, shall we say, in name only. Mm. Beyond the title, very little might be done. Mm. But we'll see about that. I mean, Sam, there was something else which you wanted to discuss as well. I, I jumped on the bandwagon there by, by taking the story of the monarchy, but um, there was something else which, which you've been reading, which you uh, found interesting. Yes, there's a bit of, bit of, bit of, a, bit of, a, bit of a spat between... Um one of our Commonwealth brothers and one of our uh, Californian overlords. Um, um, the, um, the, the monolithic Facebook has uh, moved to impede um, media content in Australia. Um, it comes as a result of um, new law being proposed in Australian Parliament, which would see big tech platforms have to pay for the content that is used on their site, which makes up most of their content-based income. Um, 
it's it, it's i mean the, the the bill is bad for business but it's not unreasonable um and facebook in in, in its typical uh bullying style has yeah chosen to completely withdraw all media content from australia effectively starving the nation of how nowadays the average person gets their information yeah. uh, so, so it was this that facebook decided itself to pull the newsfeed off they weren't forced off by the government no 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 that yeah oh, okay. because um google have already agreed to the terms and began paying for content um so it's just a matter of Facebook not wanting to play ball. What's, what's the public? What's the public's reaction? Oh, uh, Austra Australia, because uh, if it's anything like th this country, I, I can assume that there are a lot of unhappy teenagers around. Yes, uh, well, I mean, I, I don't know how many teenagers use Facebook, but um, hashtag delete Facebook was uh, was was trending all day. The the people seem. I mean, you know, obviously, obviously that they have every right to be outraged. This is um, again, you you. You don't need to be a you know a raving socialist to see that what's happening is not okay, and it's um, it's so indicative of how Facebook and other other platforms have behaved in the last year. I mean, this shouldn't even be a surprise anymore. You know, they 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 came together to you know purge Donald Trump off of um, social media, and now now they're being faced with with, with a bill for um, content that they make a lot of money for without having to pay for you know now they're having to pay, pay their fair dues they're you know trying to punish australia i mean it's indicative we've, we've talked about big tech over a number of episodes but it's indicative of the power that these companies have over our lives it's incredible i mean you write about it in the the cover piece for our, our next issue which will be available soon luke um as part of a sort of closing of the wall story on free speech but um, as much as we talk about governments and the monarchy and other institutions which used to dominate, perhaps a little more attention should be paid to the, the big tech companies, especially Facebook, Twitter, Google, and all those others involved. Uh, and, and, yeah, and the socialists have derelicted their duty because it, 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 it's symbiotic with their uh, socially liberal ends. Mm. I just wonder if, uh, if, if uh, the social media companies were of um, conservative bias for a, from a conservative standpoint and censorious towards the left. I, I wonder how uh, quickly the liberal establishment would take it down, proving that principles are few and far between. I mean, like once upon a time, that was the case. You know, you had you, you yeah, had, it was the case. You had like you we had the Red Scare, yeah, Red Scare and, and McCarthyism. The only the difference being is that. Um, the Red Scare didn't go into the school playground or the local park or the local bar. You know, it was it, it was about you know Hollywood and that, and that sort of thing. But this is this is in this day and age. This is this is where public life is lived. It's it, it's in the virtual space. It's on Facebook, on on Twitter. Um, and it's, it isn't enough to just say it's a free, it's a private corporation. They can do what they like. This you know the the the, the game has completely changed, and the rules should change accordingly. I think on that bombshell, we should call it an end for today. We've um, not been the most positive uh, episode, although we do tend to say that at the end of most weeks. I believe this is week seven now. Mm. Seems to have gone by quite yeah. quickly. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the the series, and of course, we're we're starting to put up more on the on the YouTube channel now as well. We've got a 
an interview by Guy Denton with Robert P. George, which has been sitting in the backlogs for a long time until uh, Sam wonderfully came along and uh, knew how to properly edit a video rather than my bodged attempts in the past. So do take a look at that and join us again next week for the next Week in Review. Thanks very much.